Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So if you don't know by now, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll dig into that. It's a two-week uh, message because, uh, I mean, I, try, I was going to like, I'm going I'm to teach all the way through Hebrews 13, and I'm getting in there like there's so much in chapter 13 that it's like, okay, we'll split it up. So we're, I entitled this uh, Parting Words, and uh, I just want to share this scripture with you. In John chapter 13, Verse 34 to 35, Jesus said this to his disciples, a new commandment I have given to you, or I give to you, excuse me, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus was given these parting words to his disciples. You know, it's like the last thing. I just want to just love one another. The world's going to know you by your love. And the Hebrew writer here, the apostle that wrote this letter, he's giving some parting words to uh, the, the readers of his Bible, of, of his epistle that would have been Hebrew believers. And that's there in verse 13, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue, or let brotherly love remain. It's interesting, if you look at chapter um, 11, chapter 11 was uh, the chapter that dealt a lot with faith. In fact, it's, it's like it's prominent in the, in, the, in the chapter 11. In chapter 12, it's kind of focused on the hope, the hope of our eternal home. And then chapter uh, 13 here has to deal with love, faith, hope, and love. So it's kind of, it's kind of neat how the Holy Spirit does that. Well, let brotherly love continue. And that brotherly love, that's the word uh, Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, that's, we think of the city of Philadelphia, right? The, the city of brotherly love. But that's not what the writer of the Hebrews is telling. It's, it's not just have brotherly love, you know, kindness to one another. It's not to love as brothers, but to love because we are brothers. And, of course, sisters is inferred. We're brothers, we're to, we're to have brother love for one another based on our common spiritual life. Basically, what he is saying is love those in the body of Christ. And just love the brothers, love the sisters. Well, how do you do that? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter said this, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So he's speaking about how do we love our fellow brother and sister in the Lord? Well, first of all, love them sincerely. Don't feign it. Don't fake it. Love them sincerely. Love them fervently. That means zealously love. Go out of your way to love your fellow brother and sister in Christ. And of course, with a pure heart. Paul continues it and adds more in Romans. He says, giving preference to one another. In other words, I'm going to put you before my needs. I'm going to love you more than I even love myself. Man, if, can you imagine if the body of Christ did that? how that would impact the world around us. I mean, that would, what a testimony that would be. You know, the problem is human nature, we grow suspect of anyone that doesn't share the exact same beliefs we do. 
you know, the church down the street. Well, they're, they're, that's them, you know. And, and, and we have these, we kind of get into this thing where we, we actually kind of become suspect of them and our love for those that maybe have, I mean, they still love the Lord. They're, they're born again believers, but maybe they just believe a little bit differently about eschatology or maybe a little bit differently about the gifts of the Spirit or whatever. You can pick the topic, you know, uh, predestination, free will, whatever, whatever you want to pick. And, and we go, man, our love can grow cold towards those. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12, he's speaking about the last days. He says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And, you know, man, try going up to downtown Minneapolis right now. Man, the love of many people have grown cold. It's so sad to see how our, our culture, and it's being encouraged by our government leaders to cause these divisions, you know, black and white, male and female, uh, citizen and non-citizen. I guess you can't even say non-citizen, whatever, whatever the right term is. You know, we're being segregated into these different categories. And what's the nature? What's the outcome of that? The outcome is a, is a lack of love for one another. This recent, you know, and now I'm talking about the world. Again, unbelievers. Uh, the lack of love. And, and it, the Bible says, Jesus says, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse and worse before his return. But you know, the sad thing is the church is not immune from that either. The church is not immune. I mean, this recent pandemic is just a perfect example. How brothers and sisters that had just sweet fellowship before, also now there's this division over, oh, you name it, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to choose and pick. It's sad. John Corson shares this story about a guy that said, so, and I, I'm just going to read it to you because I just thought it was really good. <clears throat> this is a guy telling a story. He says, I was walking across the Golden Gate Bridge when I saw a man about to jump off. I tried to dissuade him from committing suicide and told him simply that God loved him. I noticed a tear come into his eye. Are you a Christian? I asked. Yes, he said. Me too. What a small world. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant, he said. Man, me too. What denomination? Baptist. Me too. I said, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. Northern Conservative Baptist? or Northern Liberal Baptist, or Northern Conservative Baptist. Amazing, I said, call Ripley's. This is incredible. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist, or Northern Conservative Reformed Baptist? Well, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. Remarkable. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region? Or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern region? <laughs> He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. This is a miracle, I said. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? Well, he said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. Die, you heretic, I said, and pushed him over the rail. <laughs> Man, that's true, though. You know, the point is, don't let your love grow cold 
Yeah, that's another slide for another verse. <laughs> Don't let your love grow cold towards those in the body of Christ who believe slightly different. They, maybe they don't see everything eye to eye with you. Don't let your love grow cold. Because, you know, that's one of the tricks of the enemy. That's one of the strategies of the enemy. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Satan wants to kill fellowship among the saints. He wants to destroy unity. And he wants to steal joy. Don't let him. Let brotherly love continue. I already got the other slide up here. Already. <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> Do not uh, forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Entertaining strangers. That word actually is the word hospitality, and it literally means love to strangers. Now, when he says, don't forget to entertain strangers, that's different. That's not like saying, you know, inviting them to your home is, is actually a part of hospitality, but that's not necessarily, you know, I've got to bring them over and entertain them. It's, it's not the same as social entertaining that we do now. You know, when you social entertain, um, it's funny. So after, well, it's not funny, but after the funeral, um, we, we saw some old friends there, and I thought, man, it'd be really cool to have them come over and just have some coffee with us. You know, it was like, it was getting late in the evening, and I thought, oh, wait, the bathroom's not clean. The house isn't clean. I don't think my wife's going to want me to, you know, just invite him over. She probably wouldn't have cared. But, but uh, so anyways, as we were leaving, they had just, they had already left. So we got on the phone and said, hey, we were kind of hoping to get together with you. And they said, well, why don't you come out to our place? And I thought, I wonder, they must have a clean bathroom and a clean house and stuff. <laughs> but isn't that true? When we want to entertain someone, we feel it's, it's the, the pressure's on us, right? We've got to make sure everything's, if we're going to give them a meal, it's got to be just perfect. It's got to be delicious. The house has to be clean. We have to make sure the atmosphere is right. That's not what this is talking about. This word hospitality, think hospital. Think hospital. That's different from social entertaining. The focus in the hospital is on the guest, on the patient. The needs of the guest are the primary concern. Making others feel comfortable and at home. That's what this is talking about. It requires thinking about them before yourself. Have you ever gone to somebody's house? And you sat there and you've been there for like an hour and you're, you're like, your throat's like, Ugh. And they've never offered you, hey, can I get you a glass of water? You know, they, they've never offered you anything to drink. You know, and you're just sitting there and, and, and finally say, can I get some water or something? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, or, or you go in there and, and they do everything that they want to do. And you basically just, you're there, you know, to eat whatever they like to eat or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's not the same thing. If you've ever been at somebody's house where, you know, they have the gift of hospitality, they're thinking, what would the guest, what would make the guest feel really at home? What, what, what would somebody else, and so you're thinking about other people. You're thinking outside of yourself, basically. So the, the, the writer here says, do not forget to entertain strangers. This is another way we can love and show our love. And he says, by uh, so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I got to tell you this, this is just me, this is not thus saith the Lord, but I hate manipulative emails. 
And if you know what I'm talking about, it's the one with the story of the bum walking down the street. And, you know, you drove past him and you didn't give him some money. And you find out later it was Jesus Christ walking down the street. And if you don't forward that on to somebody else, you don't love the Lord. You're heartless. I hate it. If you've ever sent me one like that, that's okay. But <laughs> you're somebody sitting there going, oh, shoot, that's the one I sent him. <laughs> Uh, anyways, the reality remains, angels, we're told in Hebrews 1 verse 14 that they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. I, you know, and I, I've heard stories. My mom's got a story of where she believed that she had an interaction with an angel. I don't doubt it at all based on, on the circumstances and stuff. It happens. It's real. Um, but can you imagine if Lot had ignored the angels that came. He invited them into his home. He showed hospitality to them. Can you imagine if he had just blown them off? What would have happened? Now, having said that, we need to bear in mind that we need to use discernment and judgment, okay, with strangers. Um, I remember one time as a, as a youngster, um, I, I, grew, I was born in Canada, and I grew up in California. And I remember one time, it was in the summertime, I was riding my bicycle around the neighborhood and I saw a car driving into the neighborhood and it had Edmonton, or it had Alberta plates on it. I was born in Edmonton, Alberta. And I'm like, oh, a fellow Canadian, you know? And so I went up to this guy and I said, you're from Canada? And he's like, yeah. And I go, wow, so am I. I said, you should come into our house. And, and, and my mom was the only one home at the time. <laughs> and so here's this, this guy. And I invited this guy into this. I mean, I was just a little kid, just, you know, spud running around on a bicycle. And I invite this guy in and my mom's like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and it turned out this guy was in San Jose. They have what's known as the Rosicrucian, Rosicrucian Museum. It's a, it's it's a kind of this secret order. It's kind of kind of like the Masons, sort of like, but it's this. Anyways, it's a it's a weird cult like thing. Well, this guy was there for that. He was like, I'm trying to find the Rosicrucian Museum. I'm a Rosic Rosicrucian or whatever. And like, okay, this guy is strange. But anyway, so afterwards, my mom had a nice talk with me. <laughs> Don't just invite anybody into the home, okay? So seriously, you know, we are to use judgment and discernment. But the reason why the writer wrote this, in the early church, when this epistles was written, the Hebrew believers, especially the Hebrew believers that had come to faith in Christ, they were being persecuted by the, by the Jews around them. And a lot of them had lost their homes, had been forced to leave their homes. There were traveling believers during that time, uh, traveling ministers. And the inns, there were inns out there. I don't think Motel 6 existed at the time, but there were inns out there, probably Rome, uh, uh, Motel Roman numeral, you know, five. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, they had ends there, but the problem was they were either too expensive and also there was usually associated with pagan practices. And so, and then, you know, they didn't have like church buildings like we have right here that the Christians met in homes. And so it would be kind of a natural thing if, you know, to invite people into your home. But just like today, because we have it today, back then they experienced freeloaders that were just there to get a free meal. I mean, they were just there to take advantage of their hosts. And so in the first century, in, in between somewhere between 90 to one, uh, 110 AD, the Didache was written. And it was basically kind of a, 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 a minister's manual to kind of guide the, the, the churches what to do about different people. And I want to read this to you. 
It says, let every apostle that comes to you be received as the Lord, but he shall not remain except one day. But if there be need, also the next. But if he remains three days, he's a false prophet. <laughs> I think of how many people stayed. Oh, anyways, I'm going to go there. Um, <clears throat> and when the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. And anyways, it goes on and it says more and more stuff. But then at the end, it says, therefore, from their ways uh, shall the false prophet and the true prophet be known. So even back then, they had issues with people taking advantage of that. But, you know, the thing is, or the point is, I get is, don't allow your heart to close off to strangers. You know, again, use wisdom and discernment, but don't close your heart off to those uh, that you don't know, especially those who are of the faith. Um, I think of like visitors at church. Man, make them feel at home, you know. Go out of your way. Go out of your comfort zone to in introduce yourself and get to know people. Make them feel like they're, they're glad to be here. I don't know if you've ever been to a church where I, I've gone to some churches, my wife and I, you know, even small churches, and you go there, and it's, and it's like it's a small church. They should know that I'm a visitor, and nobody says anything to you. That is the worst feeling. It's like, man, this is, these guys are closed off. So we want to we entertain strangers. We want to be hosp hospitable to people. That's another way to love someone. And then he says this in verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. As if chained with them. What that really means is having empathy for others. What does that mean? It's the action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of another. If I could put it in layman's terms, just put yourself in somebody else's shoes. That's basically what it means. You know, we had the uh, Voice of the Martyrs conference earlier this spring here. It was a virtual conference, but we, we also invited people if they wanted to come uh, to the church here to, to watch it on the screen. And, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of really stuck with me was when they were sharing, the, and it was these, these three different pastors that were imprisoned in different countries for their faith, and they were sharing how, you know, yeah, you, know you have all these history, you know, you have all these examples of these great men in faith, and, and, the, and these guys were like, man, I was despairing in prison. A couple, one of them tried to commit suicide in the prison, and he couldn't. I mean, that's how, that's how bad it was for them. And so when I, I, I heard that, I'm like, man, you know, I, I, I pray for the persecuted church, but man, just to pray specifically, Lord, those that are just about ready to, they're just ready to give up. Because man, I put myself in that situation. What would I do? Would I be like, well, you know, God's going to deliver? No, I might be despairing too. And so to, to vicariously experience, you know, to think about them, put yourself in their shoes. Well, how do we remember those? Well, first of all, pray for them. That's probably the most obvious. Pray for them, remember them, consider them. And if possible, because it's not always possible, minister to their needs if, if you're able to or to provide for them if, if you're in a position to do that. And then he says, since you yourselves are in the body also. And I thought, okay, that's, he's speaking specifically about believers. But it's interesting, Vincent's word study, the Greek does not, it says this, the Greeks does not, uh, the Greeks, the Greek does not have the article the 
in the original manuscripts. In other words, what he's saying is identify with those who are being physically mistreated because you too are subject to physical suffering. In other words, man, just identifying with someone who's suffering. And I, I do believe that we should definitely be praying for the saints too. I'm not saying just you know, for anybody in general, but definitely for the saints. See, this is another trick of the enemy. Satan tries to get you and I to just focus on ourselves. You know, it's just, it's our world, our universe and stuff. His strategy is to isolate, to divide, and to render useless for the work of the kingdom, us, and those that are in prison. You know, we're to love one another as Christ loved us. And it's, it's so we're not to remember, we're not to forget those that are being, that are going through a difficult time. You know, and I think, that, you know, we, we're talking about prisons, but I think anybody that's suffering, you're aware of somebody going through a difficult time, man, reach out to them, pray to them, or pray to them. Ah, man, I need some more coffee. <laughs> Don't pray to them. <laughs> you heretic, die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, pray for them. And if possible, if you're in a position to minister to them, minister to them. He continues. Here's another way to love. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable among all. You know, I, I, I was reading that this week and just thinking, you know, man, in our culture, marriage isn't being honored at all. It's, it's becoming less and less honorable in our culture. There's a tremendous pressure, even for Christian couples, to have sex either before marriage or outside of marriage. You know, it's interesting. So I've done premarital counseling for, for many, many people, you know, in the course of my time in ministry. And one thing that I've noticed is that the devil does everything he can within his power to have pre uh, couples that are, you know, they're believers, they love the Lord, the temptations for them to have sex before marriage, man, it, it is huge. But the problem is, and I've also noticed, once these couples get married, then his next strategy is to prevent them from having sex, once they're married, to prevent them from having sex for whatever reasons, you know. Um, so let me just say this. If you're married, man, love your spouse. Pretty simple. Well, how do you do that? Well, we have, uh, we have plenty of scriptures about it. I'm not going to go through all of them. But I'm going to just say this. The model for us husbands is to love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. So just think of how Christ died for, for the church, how he laid down his life. For, that's, that's the kind of love that us guys are to have for our wives. And the wife's model is the church's submittance uh, to Christ's loving headship. That's the model. You think about it, a healthy society, a healthy church, it all starts in the home with a godly, loving marriage. That's where it starts. And so if you're married, man, love your spouse. Then he continues in verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You might say, well, how does this tie in with love? Pretty simple. Be content in Christ's love for you. Be content in Christ's love for you. Listen, he has a unique plan and a unique purpose for each one of us. And he does his work in our lives in a unique way. 
So, you know, the problem is sometimes we will look at somebody else and we'll, we'll go, man, you know, they've got it easy in their situation and I've got it hard in my situation. God, do you love me? Did I do something to deserve this? You know, are you out to get me? Understand that God loves you. Christ loves you and be content in his love for you. Again, he's working his unique purpose according to his wisdom in your life and his timing. So when we compare others, and we can, we can start becoming covetousness or envious, or we can, start, you know, we can start getting hard towards other people that maybe we think for some reason they've got it better than us. So instead of looking around at others and comparing them or comparing ourselves, be content that Christ loves you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He is for you and not against you. And, you know, we're all individuals. He knows what's good for each one of us individually, too. He knows what's best. Father knows best. <laughs> and so trust him and trust his love. Be content and don't covet. You know, Satan's strategy there, too, is to get you and I to doubt Christ's love. You know, for some reason, he's holding out on me. Or for some reason, he's out to get me. Satan wants you to think that. Don't let him do that. Don't fall for it. Because I tell you what, that is a trap that will steal your joy faster than anything else. Is when you start comparing your life to someone around you, man, your joy will just, it's gone. And that's what Satan wants to do. Verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, whenever the apostle Paul went uh, wherever to start a church, he would appoint uh, leaders in the church, in the local church. And, you know, nowadays, man, you can, you don't even have to go to church anymore, right? You can just pick and choose a podcast. You're like, man, I like that teacher. He's so eloquent. He's not like Pastor Don. I mean, he can, he doesn't get his tongue tied. He's just, you know, tongue twied. See, I... <laughs> You can choose and pick and choose who you want to listen to. Podcasts, live streams, videos, various teachers. And, you know, man, we have our scriptures available. You know, it's kind of a unique thing, and I'm, I'm used to it now, but I remember when people first started getting the, the, the Bible on their phones and stuff. And it would be at a Bible study, and, okay, pull out your Bibles. And some of the guys would pull out. And then I see these guys. I'm like, oh, what are they looking at, texts or something? Are they surfing? What are they doing? And they didn't realize, oh, they have the Bible on their their media device, whatever it is. And so, you know, things have changed. But the thing is, there's that lack of personal interaction with teachers. When you, when, if that's all you do, it's just, you're, you're, it's just everything's virtual. And Christian leaders seem less important to a lot of people. But back then, they didn't have, like, not everybody had their own Bible. Scriptures was kind of rare in those days. And so these leaders that Paul appointed, they were tasked with teaching the word of God to the people that didn't have scriptures, teaching them what it says, first of all, uh, how to apply it or, or why it says what it says, and then how to apply it in their lives. And he, when he says here, remember, in verse 3, he said, remember too. I was looking it up, and they actually mean slightly different things. In verse 3, the word remember means to be mindful of those who are suffering. We, we talked about that. You know, think about others. Uh, put yourself in their shoes. But in verse 7, the word remember here means to recollect. 
and it, it suggests, and I'm not saying that this is what it is, but it, it suggests that maybe some of these leaders might have been martyred for their faith because there was a lot of persecution going on in those times. And so if that's the case, what he is saying is recollect what your leaders taught you. Recollect their faith and their conduct and follow their example. You see, if you're just, if you're just getting it on the, on the internet and you're just hearing, even if you're here listening to me, I hate, I've, people are going to go, okay, I guess I don't listen to them anymore. No, you can if you want, but whatever. <laughs> but if that's all you're getting, you're not, you're not seeing the life. You don't, you don't see me walking out my faith if you're not interacting with me, you know, in fellowship and from day to day. I think that's why and we, we talked about this back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where the apostle said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, it's always been important to be in fellowship, but how much more important is it now in the, in the day and the age that you and I live in? Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, it's almost like an anchor verse there. It's, it's just like, oh, it's right there, right? I mean, we could do a sermon on that by itself. I was studying this, and I was thinking, well, does it apply to the verses before? Does it apply to the previous verse? Um, and if it does, and it could... Hopefully, if, if that's the case, then what the writer is probably trying to communicate is, is, you know, hopefully those leaders that you're remembering, they were pointing you to Jesus Christ. You, you could see it in what they, you could hear in what they said, you could watch their lives, and, and it wasn't, you know, just look at me and follow me and, you know, gathering people to me. It's like, no, I want to point you to Christ. That's what every teacher, every leader should be doing, is pointing people to the Lord. So it could be applying to that. Or... It could be applying to the verses below. I think probably it's both. Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't have a new revelation uh, for our generation. He's the same Christ. He's the same Lord and Savior. He's still the way. He's still the truth. He's still the life. You know, and today I've heard, not today, literally today, but in our day and age, I've heard some people say, well, you know, you can glean truth out of every kind of faith, every kind of religion. You can glean, every, every, every religion has some truth. And so we just, we just kind of collect it all and we just, we just glean truths out of different scriptures. No, we don't. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. It's, it's simply Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He completed the work of salvation. And when he died on the cross, he said, tell us die. It's, it's price paid in full. It's finished. It's not, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing to go on before it. And, and so our salvation has been paid in full in Christ. And so from now on, it's not Christ and something else. And, you know, and... and People that really get into legalism, they say, well, yeah, it's good that you're saved, but you, you need Jesus and, and then you can fill in whatever blank. You need to do this or, you know, dress this way or do this or do that. Verse 9, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. I love that. 
it's good that the heart be established by grace. It's a good thing to let your heart be established by grace. See, this was a real issue for the Hebrew believers that were listening to this or they were reading this epistle because this epistle was basically written because these Hebrew believers were being tempted through either persecution or they're just growing weary. They wanted to, you know, Christ was supposedly going to come back and he hasn't come back yet. And, and, you know, their fellow Jewish People were, you know, they were going to the temple and they were participating in the sacrifices and everything. And, and uh, you know, the, these Christians were being persecuted. These Hebrew Christians were being persecuted. And so there was a temptation to go back into Judaism. And in Judaism, of course, they had the dietary, you know, restrictions, the clean and unclean meats and stuff. Listen, legalism can make a person look good on the outside. And you've crossed your T's, you've dotted your I's, you look good on the outside, but it doesn't do anything for the heart. It doesn't do anything for the heart. Faith in Christ is what addresses your and my heart and our conscience too. And grace is the key because I realize, man, I'm, I'm, without Christ's sacrifice, without Christ's love, man, I am nothing. I'm nothing. I know my heart. And so grace is the key. It's, it's good to be established. It's good to have your heart established by grace. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. This is referring back to the temple worship again that was still taking place when this epistle was written. You think about it. We talked. We touched on it last week. The Hebrews, you know, the, the the believers, they're looking at their fellow Jewish, you know, countrymen. They they're going to the temple. They have a tangible altar. I mean, there it is. It's there at the temple in Jerusalem. They had the sights and the sounds, the smells, everything to to experience in worship. And so the temptation was to go back to what they knew and could experience a literal altar. And what the writer here is trying to communicate to these brothers and sisters is we have an altar, but it's Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's he, it's he himself. Verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And this is referring basically to the Day of Atonement. To the day, on the Day of Atonement, the sin offering was, was taken outside of the camp and burned outside of the gates of the city. And so it was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, your and my sin offering, suffered outside the gate at a place called Golgotha, outside of the city. Verse 13, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And this is what the writer, I think, is telling the Hebrew believers. If a separation has to come between Judaism and Christianity, man, let's give up Judaism and go out to Christ outside the camp and take our stand with him there on Golgotha, bearing his reproach. You know, Let's go. There's going to be reproach. And of course, those believers, they were experiencing it. That verb tense there really means let us keep on going out there to him. You know, and I, and I look at our culture today, and I, I think, I know, you know, we pray for persecuted believers in other parts of the world that 
I mean, they've been, that's their life, right? They, 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 their faith is not open or they can't express it openly. They're, they're, they, they've been persecuted. They're used to that in these different cultures. Think of North Korea, you know, how many years has they, have they been under tremendous persecution and, and of course other, other places. The land of the free, right? The United States, man. We've always been able to freely. Today we're here worshiping. There's nobody, no police pounding on the door or stuff. It's starting to happen up in Canada, actually. Um, sad to say. But I think we're approaching a time, and it, I think it's coming quicker than any of us would admit, when it's actually going to cost you and I to, to be a follower of Christ. It's going to cost us. Right now, there's really not that much cost. You, ah, you might be ridiculed at work or something like that, or your, your family members think you're cuckoo, you know, or whatever. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a um, small cost. But I think as we go further and further, we're going to start seeing that it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost more and more to be believer in Jesus Christ, to bear his reproach. And I think back to Hebrews chapter 11, we're talking about Moses, verse 24 and 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of stem, sin, excuse me, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the world. What the world, I'd rather be identified with Christ than what the world can offer me. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't have the scripture here, but you know, Jesus basically said, don't think it's strange, or maybe it's Paulus said that, don't think it's strange when they, when they start persecuting you for Christ's sake. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said this to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And if you think about when that verse was written, or when Jesus said that, the Romans were persecuted. I mean, they were, they were crucifying, not just Jesus wasn't the only one that was crucified. There was all kinds of crucifixions taking place. So they, they, you know, this is of course before Christ was crucified. And can you imagine being a, being one of the disciples hearing Jesus saying that, you know, today, what do they have lethal injection? And well, I guess that's kind of going, they're kind of going back to firing squads and gas chambers and stuff. But can you imagine if Jesus was here today and say, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his gas chamber and follow me. It, what, what's he speaking of? He's speaking about death, dying. And, and, you know, what he's referring to is dying to ourselves. It, but we could come to a time where it could be physical death. There are believers all over the world, brothers and sisters, that die for their faith in Christ. So what do we do in the meantime? Man, let's start loving one another. Let's start getting established by grace. Let's build up that love within us. And, and we need each other. We, we need to be encouraging one another. We need to be praying for one another, building up one another, because the time is coming when we're going to be, the, the, the gathering together is going to be more and more difficult for us. 
And so we need to be preparing. And how do we prepare? I think we have to start with our hearts, preparing our hearts to be ready, preparing our hearts to, to be open to those around us, to love. You know, I, I think back and, you know, I don't agree with theologically with some of these other churches here in the United, in, in Rochester and stuff. I mean, I think they're some. I think some of them are. They're, I think they're kind of off in different places. But I don't doubt that they love Christ if they're born again believers. I mean, I know there's some false, false, you know, churches and faiths out there. But but just because they're different, you know, I, I don't want to close my heart off to them, because you know the time is going to come. And and I remember when Richard Wormbrand, he was he was sharing this, and in I don't know if it was in his book or we heard him speak once at our church, but he was talking about how when he was in prison. He's like, we were all being persecuted for our faith. It didn't matter if you were Lutheran. It didn't matter if you were Baptist or, you know, it didn't matter what your theological belief. If you were a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, you're being, you, we were one. And they would have communion together. And that just stuck with me. You know, we can get so, man, they're, you know, they're the weird ones and they're, you know, I don't have anything to do with them, you know, and stuff. I don't want any kind of, you know, this inner church thing that's of the devil and stuff. And, uh, you know, there is a one world religion coming. I know that. I'm not, I'm not blind to that. But I think that's also, I think a strategy of the enemy is to divide us because when we're divided, man, that's how he can get us, isolate us and get us pitting ourselves against each other. What do we, when we're so focused on how wrong somebody else is, what are we not focused on? We're not focused on the dead and the, and the lost and the dying in the world. And so it's, it's a strategy. And so we need to be prepared for that because I think it's gonna be coming more and more in our culture. I'm gonna close with verse 14. Well, actually, let me read um, verse 13 again. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Man, I, I am so thankful that, you know, I, I see the changes that are going on. I don't like what I see going on in our nation. It's, it's aggravating because it's like, I think I've got grandchildren. I think, you know, they're not going to know the kind of life that I experienced when I was a kid. You know, they're already in, into, I, I just saw, um, or I just read on the news about this uh, private high school in California that uh, the parents didn't know about it. And it's like a $47,000 a year tuition. So it's like, you know, the rich people have their kids in this private school. But what they found out, and the, the school didn't tell them, was that they invited this, this teacher to come in, and she was teaching pornography to the kids. And, and, and it was all, and it was some, I mean, not just like pornography, like, Playboy. I mean, it was like the worst, the worst of the worst stuff. It was a class to to, ex, to expose these children to it, and there was high school, eleventh grade. But I, I thought, you know, man, I, I just it just blows my mind. I couldn't I couldn't imagine that when I was in high school that that would have happened. And so our kids are under assault, and and, and I just think, man, this the, 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 this world is getting worse and worse. I am so glad that I'm not, like, this is it, because this, man, it's, it's getting bad. <laughs> we have an eternal home in heaven, 
And so, man, I, I just, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to vote. I'm going to do everything I can as a, as a citizen. But, man, I'm thankful. Whatever the outcome is, this is not my home. My home is in heaven. And Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And, and you know, everything that's wrong here is going to be right there. Everything that's wrong here, it's going to be right. Everything's going to be made right. You know, uh, we'll finally have peace when the Prince of Peace is reigning and ruling on this earth during the millennium. I'm so looking forward to that. Why don't we go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer?